Sucker. Written and narrated by Mark Lingane. Copyright 2014. Episode 2. Inspector Rami Watcher wandered a few years back. He up and left his pregnant wife for three months with a dark lady with legs who could crush your will to live but leave you smiling. He went back, but now his wife hunted him by phone, calling incessantly, checking up hour after hour. Yet couldn't blame her. He had broken her heart so bad he deserved an eternity of damnation. But then he took it out on me. Just as well our history ran back to the Dark Ages. Occasionally I caught a glimpse of a cross he carried round his neck when its silver surface caught the light. He had got it in the war given to him by the company chaplain after a bullet passed through his shoulder whilst they were talking. A couple of inches lower could have done us all a favor. I always thought his credence unusual considering how he acted these days. He kicked my desk absent-mindedly as he responded to the domestic inquisition. No, no, I'm not at the office because I'm at a crime scene. No, we're not at a bar. The music. Our suspect is spinning a record. I will, I will call you once I'm back at the office. Yeah, yeah, you too. There was a young, uniformed officer watching him closely. Her plate said L. Mallory. Her uniform was a little too tight, by design. Buttoned up to the collar proud, and her hair was pulled back into a squirrel that hinted at her being something changed when the lights went down. Another skinny blonde thing. Watcher hung up the phone, my phone, and shouted at his staff milling around like the military man he once was. Several loafers from forensics crawled over my office looking for clues. I could see it in their eyes, they think I did it. They'll be looking for something to pin on me, like always. You notice anything about her? Said Watcher. She had good skin, I replied. I leaned back on the chair and flicked some bad habits into his face. Either you are the worst detective ever, or you're not telling me everything. It's a crime scene. So? Ain't my jurisdiction. I have found in the past, my friend, that this small illegality often does not impede your interference. I learned, I replied. They had tried to teach me the hard way at the end of a bunch of brass knuckles requisition from the evidence store, but the pain didn't do much anymore. Watcher wasn't buying it, but he was right. Normally I wouldn't give two hoots from a half-dead owl over something like the law, but this felt wrong. The great metal spike through her chest didn't pique your interest? I shrugged. Looked like another piercing. He should have asked if I put it there. What they hadn't seen yet were the five tiny burn marks in a ring in the center of her chest. I knew it'd get lost in the filing somewhere between boredom and 
delegation. He pulled out a flipboard and sat on the edge of my desk. Where were you last night? Taining psychosis at the stylus. All night? Asked the bartender. Yeah, we might do that. What time did you get in? Midnight. You were here alone until you found her. You raised an accusatory eyebrow at me. It didn't look good. Alibi was a five-letter word that had moved out without leaving a forwarding address. Is this the story you want me to have written down? This will be your only chance to change it. He gave me a steely stare, although to me it looked rusted. I nodded. He sighed in either exasperation or indifference, got up and looked around the room, poking around anything valuable. I watched him with his light fingers carefully, as did L. Mallory. He notably ignored the medals in the little display case the military handed out when stupidity finally triumphed over common sense and preservation. They called it bravery. I didn't feel brave at the time. Take him down to the cells. I don't like the smell of this place. They bundled me up and L. Mallory led me off to the tank. She carefully watched Watcher until she could no longer keep a straight eye on him. The tank walls shared a heritage with the other government buildings of the era. The great downtown factories that churned out the diesel airships during the war were quiet now, but the tank continued to thrive. Effervescent pre-war ideology led to an ingrained level of disobedience. It was all part of the social evolution that sold the place to hell in a handbasket. The amalgamation of assorted rough bricks filled the expansive spaces that failed to relent for anything as luxurious as a window. Oddly enough, it was the cells below that had the glass, tiny as they were, as the subterranean levels filled up with poisonous diesel fumes and they needed to escape. Like most of the buildings in the city, the tank had great diesel-powered monstrosities thundering away, powering the place and making the floors shake. They set up a harmonic wave in the hanging globe that cast crazy shadows over the place. Freaky. L. Mallory sat up straight, just like the ergonomic poster next to her desk illustrated. She placed a set of oversized glasses on her pretty face using both hands, then started to read the microfiche. I was surprised to find parts of my body ringing alarm bells. Have you got a record? Depends. The youngster flicked through the file. Her eyes widened as she crawled through the details. It could go either way. I crossed my fingers. You were in the war. You got a war record. It says, decorated. Like a Christmas tree. But since you've been back, you've been... Interesting. You're certainly no angel. Saint. Huh? Her eyes were glued to the information in front of her. I ain't no saint. You say tomato, I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing stupid. There's a difference. Whatever. You've been incarcerated 14 times. 
Most of the time, due to ignoring the law, this town doesn't need a shadowed vigilante flapping round. We got enough trouble in the shape of wannabe rebels. Sometimes the chase goes bad. You certainly are an interesting dichotomy, Mr. Avran. Ah. She hesitated and picked up a pencil. You got a license? Yeah. I fished out the little piece of paper from my wallet and handed it over. Stained in blood and diesel, it had seen better days. She made a crack about moths escaping from the concertinaed leather. She turned the card over and industriously took down the details. She looked up at me as she wrote down the D.O.B., then continued on. You're three years older than me. She glanced at me with an unsettling, fleeting smile. There was an unbelievable chasm between her appearance and the documented evidence. It looked like she had done her own deal. There was a market for that kind of appearance down on the terrace. Her voice lightened up as she relaxed a little. You're still in good shape? You look like you're in good shape. A shape's a shape. Her face registered a kind of ambivalent disagreement. You married? No. Then who's Riley? She started, but her attention was snapped away as Watcher came noisily striding into the tank. He extended an alligatory finger at the two of us. That's enough, he shouted. Chuck him in the overnight. Cuffs? He paused and he rubbed the small silver cross thoughtfully between his fingers. No. What's the charge? Old Mallory said as she hurried to her feet. Her hands swept down over her uniform, smoothing out the creases. Watcher! Shouted a staff sergeant at the front desk. Your wife is on your office phone! Watcher's head cracked around to face the desk sergeant, displaying a combination of anger and impotence. He returned his attention to L. Mallory. Hmm, doesn't matter. We both watched him disappear into his corner office and pick up the phone. The transformation from a tall, occasionally eager man to a cowering hunched shadow whimpering in the corner was always spectacular. L. Mallory and I exchanged glances. I kind of wished it had been a phone number. Do you live at your office or do you have a home? It's the same thing. Your record said your parents are dead. You got anyone else in your life who can pick you up? No. Any friends? No. Maid? You seen my office? She let out a light, infectious laugh, then quickly stopped herself. I guess you could achieve the same outcome if you opened the window on a blustery day. Your records only show from the war onwards. What did you do before? I hesitated. The black pit of lousy life decisions fired by an ill-tempered youth opened up before me. The army had been redemption for the mistakes I'd made, but the horrors of war, man against man, burned any recollection of innocence into the wind. I don't recall. You must recall something. Her face offered an eager inquisition that I could not deter. I loved and lost. Watcher appeared at his doorway. Why is he still here? You said to forget it. Doesn't matter. 
No, you moron. The charge doesn't matter. Get him into the cells, quick. Make sure it's 38 and see me after. He glanced at his watch, then slammed his door closed. She looked like she'd been punched. I felt for her. He had given her bad instructions, then blamed her for it. Could you follow me, please, sir? Her voice had returned to its original brittleness. She didn't look at me, but took out her hammer, long and black, and placed it into the small of my back. I quickly twisted it around, grabbed it out of her tight clutches, and handed it back to her. Ain't no need. I made off towards the stairs to the cells, with her hurrying her pretty face to catch up. Yo, what are you doing here? The cells officer slammed down the keys in his hand with Herculean contempt. I could see his jaw clenching. He hadn't forgotten and he hadn't forgiven, but he had healed, except for the missing tooth. He should be happy. He gave him character. It's okay, Watcher wants him in the cells for some reason. L. Mallory said. We don't need no reason for this sucker, not after last time. Shouted the cell officer. Why? What happened? It's okay. I interjected. He can have cell 38. Watcher said the same thing. We have a cell 38? Yeah, it's the most stinkiest, disgusting, smallest hole for people exactly like him. The cell officer led me down to the pit of the tank, where the smell was so bad you could spread it on bread. He unlocked the cell and tried to push me in. He didn't have much luck. I looked back over my shoulder at him and stepped into the cell. He slammed the gate behind, sending the ringing tones through the entire floor. I'm... She paused as a thought process drifted off to the moon and back. Sorry. I gave her half a smile, saving the rest for when I needed to bank it. She took off a civilization. I took off my shoes. They were their own kind of civilization. She had a genuine face that had the grace and manners to reflect her words. Maybe she was sorry. Maybe she wasn't even sorry for me. I sat on the bed. It returned a level of comfort unmatched by my stretcher. Food will be round soon. All in all, it ain't a bad deal. I watched the night ride in through the diminutive window. It was a full moon. It fitted perfectly inside the edges of the window. Round peg, square hole. Where had I seen that? Oh yeah. About eleven they threw some whimpering old hobo in the cells next to me so full of singing juice he couldn't speak straight. So he sang until he collapsed into a grumpy pile in the corner, nibbling on his fetid nails. Both jangles perked up around midnight playing some battered old mouth organ. Odd for a hobo to have one since you could trade it in for a week's worth of liquor. But we all gotta find something that gets us through the night. The bell tolled up from the dark. The port was closing. Midnight. The lights went out as the buildings generators powered down. 
You can feel the hum descend through the octaves until the silence wrapped around you. Bojangles started up again. The mouth organ followed an ancient sad tune. A tremolo entered into his performance. He was visibly being harassed by something. His spare hand snapped out at invisible bugs flapping around his head, causing him to miss the occasional note. He went quiet. Bojangles jumped up and stared at me through the bars. His face freakishly caught the moonlight. His filthy hands wrapped around the cold steel and his body started to shake. His eyes rolled back into his head, leaving his yellow sclera piercing into me. They faded to black. His mouth opened, exposing gray teeth. He exhaled and a cloud of insects flew out straight at me. I pulled the sheet off the bed and up around me. I felt them bounce off the material. They were concentrating on my head. I swept the sheet up, capturing them, then flung it to the ground and stamped on it until the buzzing stopped. It's time, he said, but it wasn't his voice. My head snapped up to look at him. Change is coming. I felt this referred to my underpants. You must prepare the mail. I looked round. There was no one else he could be talking to. For what? The change, the old will end, the new will begin, as it is written. The window at our end of the corridor exploded. Two enormous birds, I assumed they were birds, came flapping down the corridor. The lights flickered, being powered by some unseen source. The bird dived in through the bars of Bojangles' cell and started to rip him apart. They shredded his skin with their claws, seen only partially within the flashing light. He flailed his arms to keep the creatures away, but they were too strong. His face ruptured and he screamed, but there was no sound. One creature slashed his throat and blood spurred across his cell. He stopped moving. The birds crashed against my bars but could not enter the cell. One flew out and was gone. The second paced up and down, testing the bars. Each time it touched the metal, it shrieked and fluttered away. It turned its rat-like face to me and let out a strange whining sound. Not painful, just sad. The largest hound I had seen came bounding down the corridor, spitting and snarling. It launched at the winged creature, barring its teeth and snapping its jaw wide open. The two creatures rolled together on the floor, slashing and clawing at each other. The bird sank its claws into the shoulder of the dog and it yelped, momentarily releasing it. The bird took the moment of freedom and crashed out through the window, half ripping itself apart against the jagged glass edges. The dog turned and stared at me. It let out a low growl, then stalked off down the corridor. In the morning, Bojangles was dead.
It took them a few hours, but in the end they couldn't pin it on me, so they had to let me go. The cell officer reluctantly put it down to natural causes. You got to laugh. My nerves were still on edge. If Elle Mallory had been there, it would have helped, but she wasn't. I stopped on the way home at some joints to drink some nerves, but it didn't help. The afternoon heat rolled up from the gutters. I wandered up the stairs. The keys rattled as I flicked through them. I didn't need them. The door swung open. The chair was over on its side with a broken leg. The trash men had been and not left any item untouched. Not looking for something, someone was just angry. It wasn't bad, but it was gonna take a few hours. I heard some hurried footsteps on the staircase behind me, dainty and small. I turned around. Ellen Mallory smiled at me. She handed over the license. She had undone the first two buttons on her uniform and refreshed her perfume so it set up a perimeter of allure at five feet. Sure made me smell better. I thought you might need this, she said. She rotated her wrist and revealed my license folded in her delicate fingers. They were hands that had never seen the dirty end of a desperate altercation. Yeah, thanks. Um... The confident girl of yesterday dissolved into a flustering teenager. Would you like to go for a drink sometime? Or we could catch a game if you're into that kind of thing. I like games. I ain't a temptation. But you're not a cop. I only meet cops and, well, you've seen them. I don't get on with them a whole lot. Internal audit. She looked at her feet and nodded. I felt sorry for her. It was hard enough being a woman in the forest. Some Neanderthal jerk would have taken offense to her because she was smart and pretty and lined her up as an undercover IA informer. The question was, why did she stay? I'd like a friend. I don't have too many. You look like you could be someone who is a friend. I shrugged. She irradiated purity through her brookish stone facade. Derived, I'm guessing, from an upbringing where life was constant competition with numerous brothers. The sight of upended contents of my office behind me caught her attention, causing the sad bunnies to come home. You should report it. It's okay. I replied. It's a crime. Only with a theft. She glanced at her watch and a squirrel danced behind her. I've got some time before I have to be back at the tank. I'll help you. She helped a bit, but ended up asking too many questions. I said I'd meet her for a drink if she left. When she'd gone, I'd lock the door. I uncovered a large star drawn in the center of the office in blood. Around it were burnt five points, like the kind of pattern you'd find on a dead, skinny, blonde thing. I was sitting back, flipping decimals into the tumbler on the desk. The place had pretense of decorum with tidied shelves and a washed floor. A great darkness descended from the heavens, screeching and howling. The wren monster had turned up early. I sighed. There was no escape. She flung open the door, giving it a heavy kick with her deformed boot. It crashed against the wall with the inset glass shaken in a combination of fear and physics. 
She opened her mouth and the flames of a hellfire spewed out. I'll translate. You got till Thursday to pay up or you're out. I left out the foul language because I got some standards. She closed up with the usual abuse. It was gonna be hard to find a place cheaper than this with four walls and a roof. The ran monster stomped off down the stairs, shaking the building to its foundations. I pulled out the pages and started to search for my next abode. I was fine with that, as crimes had sharply increased recently in the local area. A shadow fell across the glass and set in the door. I knew who it was. It was hard to forget curves like that. She stood there, moving, half dancing, performing some seductive puppet show. Eventually, the door opened. Yeah. Mina leant against the door jam. My door introduced me, Van H. Abram. She stared at it long before she turned to casually deflate into my office. What's the H stand for? She traced her finger around the embossed gold sticker as she stepped in. Hell knows. She wore a white leather outfit that clung to her like a lick of paint and about as revealing. From mountain to molehill it covered nothing else. Her hair sat longer tonight. You're a hard man to find, Van. Hiding in plain sight. I gave her half a smile and gestured to her like a bad magician. What do you want? I place some faith in my ability to change your mind. She sauntered around the room, checking out all the little nooks and crannies. Where do you sleep? Hanging in the wardrobe. Feet up or down? I ignored her and poured a drink. I sighed as I fished out the decimals before knocking back the liquid. She looked carefully over the collection of musical artifacts in the corner. You got a sax, I like a man with a big shiny instrument. Perhaps you can let me blow it. Her finger stroked up from the bow to the bell, her reflection stretched and golden in the brass. She paused as she passed the small wooden box with the army's embossed crest holding down the unpaid bills. You got medals, why don't you display them? I don't show off. Her hand hovered over the box. The thumbnail flicked the small golden latch, but she left it closed. What did you do in the army? Shot things. That all? And looked at things. You must have looked good to get all those medals. You still look pretty good. I didn't know if it was a question of flattery, but it was a pretty lady going all soft, so I let her ride. They say I'm a sucker for a pretty face, so when she gives me her eyes, three quarts desire, and a fistful of desperate hunger, there ain't much I can do except see where the ride ends up. It'll never end up where you want to go, but more often than not, it'll end up where you need to be. What happened? How does a war hero descend to the seventh ring of society? Bad choices, bad luck. She let out a sigh. For the first time, her face radiated an emotion other than determination. Sooner or later, we all succumb to the vices. You want to see some of mine? How about later? She poured herself a drink and knocked it back while sitting back on the edge of my desk. 
She swung her knees to the side, retaining a small degree of grace, and rested her heels on the boots on my knees. I'll try and fit you in, honey, but there is a queue of good intentions trying to back up out of the way. She leant forward and ran a finger down my face. It scraped against the two-day growth. She placed her boot against my chest and gently pushed me back into the beat-up old leather recliner. She reached for my belt and pulled it free, ripping open my trousers. I couldn't deny I stirred to see her, especially what she was showing, and my body reacted accordingly. It's good to have your attention. Without trepidation, she ripped aside her Victoria's Secrets. She teased as she steered me, tantalizingly close, grazing her skin. You take the case, honey? Yeah, all right, I replied. She descended and we joined in a holistic moment of endeavor. She rocked with the uncluttered finesse of a seasoned professional. I ain't the best of judges, but you seem to massively partake in the enjoyment. You ain't a good woman, I said. I tried it, but the pay was bad. She grabbed my head and sunk her teeth into my neck.